they were just like, I feel like I see myself in comedy or like I didn't like going to stand up shows because it was all like straight white guys and I felt like I didn't fit in and like this wasn't for me. And so it felt really cool to make people feel like they're included. But it was also kind of like the fact that people felt like they couldn't be included in comedy was truly shocking to me. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out Mopad. how to do life. Mopad. But it turns out Mopad. nobody knows Mopad. Yeah, 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 it's Phoebe Robinson. It's Phoebe Robinson. Of course it is. Of course Phoebe Robinson is doing my podcast. I mean, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, definitely wow. Phoebe Robinson is amazing. I don't even need to introduce her. She's she was in two, she's part of two dope queens. She's she's Phoebe Robinson. She podcasted with Michelle Obama. She podcasted with Michelle Obama. <laughs> I mean, oh my god, she's incredible and. I have, I I now feel like this is kind of a classic me thing of, because I once did Two Dope Queens. So Two Dope Queens was uh, uh, Jessica Williams and Phoebe Robinson. So they'd be like co-hosting a show and they'd record it. And on that show, they'd have this, uh, different comedians doing sets and stuff. And they had one of those shows that I did. I did one of those shows, but it wasn't recorded, I think, because Jessica wasn't there. She was in from on Skype. And this is so many years ago. I didn't even, it wasn't a thing yet. And then I remember after about, I mean, only about six months, maybe a year after, Two Dope Queens was like the biggest, best podcast in the world. And I was like, I used, I did, didn't I do, I did that once. Oh my God. Oh my God. I did something huge. I also, can I just say in the same kind of group of things, I also did All Killer No Filler, a live episode in Edinburgh in 2015, maybe 14. But, you know, I, the sound was so bad, they never released it. And also that was because, that was before All, Filler no, All Killer No Filler was a huge podcast. So I think maybe I'm just destined to do, or maybe if I do your podcast, it'll be huge eventually. And you'll never end up actually using <laughs> the recording where I'm at. Um, so anyways, it's huge that uh, Phoebe Robinson is doing this podcast. It was huge. We did it over Skype. So that's you'll be able to hear that on the sound. And I mean, I'm an anxious person. I get anxious when I just speak on the phone regularly, even to close friends of mine. I mean, phone calls make me a bit nervous. Skype somehow makes me even more nervous. I don't know why. And then Skyping with Phoebe Robinson makes me nervous. And then it's also being recorded, which makes me a bit So I don't know if you can hear difference in my tone or if you pick up on the nerves but I mean you can definitely hear me fucking up some serious English <laughs> like I mean even that I said wrong seriously fucking up some English this I mean this sentence where I'm I mean I'm so happy we didn't do the video it wasn't the video so she couldn't see me but if she had been able to see me a lot of times she would have seen me go what the fuck what the fuck does that even mean what are you doing why are you Ah, because I would just say the weirdest sentences. But uh, she's incredible. Phoebe Robinson turns out to be one of these uh, that I like to call the functionals. You know, the people where when we start talking about their life, they're like, I had a really happy childhood. And every once in a while, I'll end up talking to one of those for the podcast. And every time I'm like, oh, but then what do we talk about? <laughs> so are you never sad? What's happening? How? how? And... um she was still incredible to talk to and uh yeah she's gonna be in edinburgh so oh my god go and see her buy her books worship her i don't know she's incredible so so in a very surreal way yeah enjoy this episode quickly i just want to say i will also be in edinburgh doing my show every single day of the edinburgh fringe festival august so that's 19 i will be at the queen dome at 7 p.m every night apart from the 12th from July 31st to August 25th, I'll do my new show, The Bum Swing, which is probably the best show I've done so far. I really love doing it. It's so much fun. Thanks to those of you who've already seen it. It means the world to me that you like it. After Edinburgh, I will be going on a UK tour 
I have a list. I have a list of the places I'll be going. Uh, I will be in Winchester, Kendall, Aberdeen, Buxton, Bromsgrove, Leicester, Northampton, Reading, Blackheath, Farnham, Oxford, Maidenhead, Fareham, New Milton, York, Sheffield, Lancaster, Didcot, Aldershot, <laughs> Canterbury, Colchester, Cambridge, Leeds, Olnewick, Foxstone, and Bristol. Um, more shows will be added. I will definitely come to like Manchester and Brighton and uh, Cardiff and Newcastle and Birmingham. And oh, I really want to go back to Froome. Uh, I really loved Froome when I went there. Uh, Swansea, obviously, I want to go back to Swansea because the show, a lot of the show is about Swansea, weirdly. So, yeah, uh, that's going to happen. So go get tickets on sophiehagen.com. My other podcast, Secret Dinosaur Cult, will also be in Edinburgh. It'll also be in uh, London. And uh, also it'll be in Sweden, in London, Sweden, and Copenhagen in Sweden. We'll also be doing the bum swing in the beginning of September it's all on sophiehagen.com, so go there for all of the tickets. Uh, or you go and listen to Secret Dinosaur Cult on all good podcast platforms. But for now, do enjoy my chat with Phoebe Robinson. Thank you for doing this. I, I usually say to my guests that if anyone listening might not know who they are, I would like to ask them to introduce themselves and I feel like most people will know who you are but just in case do you want to give like a brief introduction yeah sure um my name is Phoebe Robinson I'm a stand-up comic a podcaster actor writer U2's number one fan um and yeah I've been doing comedy for 11 years and um now I'm like decided like get my big girl pants on and I'm performing in the UK for the first time in my career. So I'm very excited. And oh, tell me about that. So you're doing Edinburgh? Yeah, I'm doing Edinburgh and I'm doing um, Angel Comedy Club in London. And yeah, I just, you know, it's a part of my stand-up tour, which is called Sorry Harriet Tubman. And um, I just, uh, you know, when we were getting dates together, I was like, you know, I've heard so many comics in, in the States be like, oh, Edinburgh is like awesome. So I just was like, well, why don't I just try and go for it? And, you know, I think it is always sort of scary when you kind of do, you know, stand up or you perform for someone like sort of outside of where you normally perform. But then at the end of the day, you're just like funny is funny. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm just really excited to like be overseas. And I know Scotland is supposed to be kind of rainy like a little bit like <laughs> Seattle is so I'm I am prepared with like you know my playlist with like Dido and like you know and you on it to sort of like be in that mindset and just like really meet some awesome cool people oh you will it's Edinburgh's the best place in the world it's so it's the, it's just the best it's such an amazing atmosphere it's a beautiful city oh you're gonna absolutely love it and I'm 100% sure they're gonna love you as well Oh, awesome. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and you, so you're, uh, is your partner still, is he, not is he still British, but is, do you still have a yeah. British partner? <laughs> I do. Yes. I'm still with British Bay Goff. Um, and he moved to New York and we moved in together last August. And, you know, he, you know, his job, he's a tour manager for rock bands and, so the current tour that he's on is for three years. And so, you know, we try and see each other every three weeks and he has like breaks and stuff. Like he has a break like right now. So we went on vacation together last month or like last week. Um, but yeah, we're still together. We're kicking it. We're coming up on our two year anniversary at the end of July. So I'm very excited. Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. So how do you deal with the long distance uh, touring what are you like as a as a girlfriend as a partner <laughs> well i think you know obviously facetime makes a huge difference so when we're apart we facetime every day but you know uh, sometimes it's just like maybe 10 minutes a day that's like all we get because especially when he like i'm here and he's overseas or he's in the states and i'm overseas like the time difference is like you know truly nutty like i think he's going to be in um Brisbane next week so it's sort of like all right we're we're gonna have like a very narrow window in which we can chat um 
But, um, you know, I have some times where I'm like really sad and like cried and like other times I just sort of like, as he likes to say, crack on and just, you know, uh, you know, I have like a lot of work to do and I have like friends to see. So it doesn't feel as tough. But, you know, when we have those moments where we're like not seeing each other for two months, that's when it's really hard for me because I'm just like, oh, I want to I just want to like snuggle with you and like, you know make dinner well we don't make dinner together he makes dinner and I just wait till it's done and then I eat it um (laughs) so you know I think we do like a lot of FaceTime a lot of texting and just like checking in with each other and making sure that you know we're just keeping the fire alive and what's it like when you then finally see each other is that is there a lot of pressure on that time to be amazing no I think you know one of the biggest things just because we do spend a lot of time apart is that like I think we both have done a really good job of not sweating the small stuff. Um, And like, for example, like I'm, he's very neat and I'm kind of a messy person. And I think if we, you know, saw each other every day, like we would definitely have like fights about that. But, you know, we're just sort of kind of like, yes, we're just two different people. And this is just not a thing worth getting mad over and ruining an evening fighting about so that's been really good but I think there's not really that pressure when we're together like I think we just want to make sure we're spending quality time together whether it is playing video games like he just got like a VR headset so now (laughs) and he's a big gamer so now we play video games together or um we go to concerts together which of course like that's all he does for work but he's very sweet and will still go to concerts with me and so I think we just make sure that we're spending a lot of quality time together and that he gets to see his friends here and you know that we just really cherish each moment that we have that sounds great that also sounds like it you know it sounds like a healthy way to have a relationship and it sounds like I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tapping into all of my crazy. I'm like, wow, I don't know how I, <laughs> how I would be in that situation, but you sound like you, you kind of know what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm about to turn 35 in September. So I think that's also part of it. And I think, you know, we just really fit each other so well. And I think we both recognize like how special that is. So I think we really just try and, you know, treat our relationship with like the most like loving and tender care. But, you know, it'll be very interesting when he's not touring and when I'm not touring and we're like having to see each other every day, we might be like, Oh, why are you here all the time? <laughs> I feel like that would be normal. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you must be super busy. I mean, you've, I, and you probably don't remember this, but years ago, I, I performed at Two Dope Queens before. I don't even know you, if you recorded it back then. But so we met very briefly. This is so long ago. We did? So oh my God. I didn't even know how big of a deal it was when I did it. And then people started talking. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, it was so much fun. And, but I remember, I remember then you just exploding and Two Dope Queens exploding. And I mean, you must be on this incredible. Oh, I don't like saying journey, but I guess that is the right word. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. As they like to say on The Bachelor and Bachelorette, let's talk about our journey. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think what's been so kind of nutty about Two Dope Queens is that Jessica and I never thought like all of this was going to happen. You know, like we, she was on The Daily Show when we met and I was just stand-up comic and blogging and, you know, sort of auditioning and submitting writing packets and not getting hired for stuff. And that was kind of like my, you know, what was happening with me. And so we really just started the show because we're like, well, we, we don't see any, you know, sort of variety shows hosted by black women that have like, like diverse lineups. So like, why don't we do that? And we started doing it at UCB East for free. So I think we just were doing it because we really enjoyed doing it and have, and had fun with each other and really liked making each other laugh. And so the fact that it turned into, you know, four seasons of a podcast ending with Michelle Obama as like the interview and then two seasons on HBO, it really sort of felt, I don't know, it just felt kind of like really unexpected and exciting. And I I think a testament to just like sometimes like momentum will carry you 
in a direction that you didn't even think was possible or was like certainly like wasn't on your radar. And, you know, I really think it changed our careers for the better. And I think that's part of the reason why we like decided to go on hiatus because, you know, she's doing all these movies and I have this production deal and I'm touring. Like it just really was like, it opened up our careers in ways that we thought would only happen if we did solo stuff. Um, and, but I think the biggest thing for me with two dope Queens and sorry, all my answers are very long, but I think, (laughs) thanks. I think what's been so special about two dope Queens is that, I don't know. It's just like when I look at like comments that people would send us about the podcast and the HBO show and just how they were just like, I feel like I see myself in comedy or like I didn't like going to stand up shows because it was all like straight white guys and I felt like I didn't fit in and like this wasn't for me. And so it felt really cool to make people feel like they're included, but it was also kind of like the fact that people felt like they couldn't be included in comedy was truly shocking to me and I think we just provided a platform for people to share their truth and you know show off their voices and I think that's the thing I'm proudest of with the show because I think that outlives like you know interviewing cool celebs or like ending up on HBO is sort of like just giving people the space to talk because I think with stand-up certainly like that's all you want to do is just connect with audiences. Mm, I was about to ask about because most of your work even if it wasn't the main goal of it, or it might have been, but you've you must have affected so much change, and that's both through your books and Suit Up Queens and um, so many white guys. It is about you know there is like a an undercurrent of, or maybe it's even very obvious like a, some activism in that. Do you know what I mean? Like some, it's important work. Oh, thanks. Right? Well, I guess you know what I mean. I mean, I think what's just been, in general, I, I don't know how the comedy scene is over overseas necessarily, but I know here in the States, it is, there are a lot of gatekeepers. And for a long time, it was really just like women, people of color and queer people just not getting the same opportunities that their straight male counter- counterparts were getting. And I think what sort of happened with technology is, you know, that sort of leveled the playing field, right? Like you could have an Issa Rae, have a web series, and then turn that into Insecure on HBO. Jessica and I could do a podcast and turn that into HBO. And even before I met Jessica, I had like a really crummy podcast that I did out of my terrible one-bedroom apartment (laughs) that had like a leaky roof and like a slight mouse problem and but I was able to sort of you know even though it was like really just like really super low budget and like I didn't kind of know what I was doing like I learned how to edit podcasts on that and so I really think this now we live in an age because you you have a phone or you can get a microphone off of Amazon and connect it to your computer you can interview people so I think what has happened is that it is sort of we don't have to necessarily wait to for that. Yes. You know what I mean? Like you can sort of just create some stuff and you don't know what's going to hit, but the fact that you're creating, you're building these skill sets until, you know, bigger people and gatekeepers start to pay attention, I think is really what's been transforming the industry and why we're seeing, you know, like the Lena waves and like just so many different people are coming into the fold when like, you know, 20 years ago, they might've not gotten in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with like two dope Queens, like with my books, like I've just always wanted, I just always wanted everyone to feel like they were included and like everyone's story is, is valid. And like, you don't have to feel like the other. I mean, I think that's sort of why I started so many white guys, because I would just read all these interviews of, you know, people by, straight white male interviewers and just be like, so you're a woman and you have a show. What's that like? And it's just such a, it's a non question. It's just truly ignorant. And I'm just like, there are so many interesting things about like an Alana Glazer or Janet Mock that has nothing to do with their gender, nothing to do with their sexuality. And I really just wanted that space to sort of just talk to people on a human to human level. And I'm like, isn't that what everyone wants? You know, I, I feel like, that's I think why podcasting in particular is so huge right now is because yes, we have social media and like all these things, but 
we're still, we still feel a little separated. So we just want that intimacy of a conversation. So what made you, I mean, so as, I mean, women and people who've been socialized as women and mm-hmm. queer people and people of color and black people, like we, if you're part of that kind of marginalized group, you've been socialized into thinking that you, your voice doesn't really have a place and you shouldn't really take up space and you should sit down and shut up and listen. So, and I think a lot of people just more or less subconsciously, you know, adhere to that. So mm-hmm. what was it in your, what has made you the person who sort of believed that, no, actually, I, I should actually, I should be saying something? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So I've been doing comedy for 11 years and, you know, I always tell people uh, probably like the first eight, eight years I was doing it, like I really was just like, broke and not having the sort of like career gains that I wanted to have. Um, and I remember this is 2014. So I, I had, I started to stand up summer 2008 and, and, um, I didn't even really want to do stand up. Like I thought I was going to be a serious, you know, screenwriter and write Oscar winning movies. And, and, um, so anyway, so I got into stand-up um, through my friend, Lindsay News, who wanted to take a stand-up class together. And I was completely not interested, but I just did it because it, it's it's fun to do stuff with a friend, even if you don't, like, really care what you're doing. Hmm. Um, and so I have been making, like, sort of, like, little games here and there. Like, I wrote... I did punch up on a season of Broad City. I, you know, was a warm-up comic on, like, an FX show. So I did, like, a few things here and there. And then... Um, towards the end of 2013, my good friend, uh, Michelle Buteau had a, a pilot for VH1 and I submitted to write on it and I got the job. And so I, I, because of that, I just had to quit my day job, which was, I was an office assistant. It just sort of take the leap on a show, not knowing if it was going to get picked up and, and greenlit for series. It of course did not as things tend to not go all the way in, in Hollywood. Mm. And you know, I spent a lot of 2014, like really just like struggling and taking like $50, um, you know, blogging gigs, which is really hard to make a living in New York when you're just getting paid in $50. Um, (laughs) And I was really sort of feeling like, you know, I'm seeing like a lot of my friends not having to struggle as much or they're they're breaking a little bit earlier in their career. Like I'm six and a half years in, I really haven't hit yet. So I was like, maybe I think, I I think this might be my last year. I think I'm going to quit. And, you know, I remember telling my parents this and they were just sort of like, well, you know, you're like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe I'll be like a dental assistant. And they're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, they, I was basically broke it down to me and said like success is like not on your timeline and it's not going to look like anybody else's and you just have to keep working hard and uh, not expect that certain things are going to come your way and just like keep your head down. And I was just like, all right, I guess that's a good advice. I didn't really want to hear it, but I, I think it was good to just sort of like remember, like just keep working, mm. just keep trying and, you know, I wasn't getting hired for any writing gigs. I wasn't, like, booking any acting stuff. So I was just sort of like, okay, I guess I'll just do my own thing. I'll just start my own stand-up show in the city, which is Blaria, which soon turned into Two Dope Queens when Jessica and I met. And I asked her to co-host one, one show together. And so I just really sort of just, like, started doing things just because I really enjoyed it and I I wanted to develop that skill set. And I think that really turned things around because I was in the driver's seat, you know, and I think people could clearly see what my voice was, um, what I was capable of. And I think that changed a lot because I... I decided to take the power back instead of just being like, I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody wants me. This is awful. Like I can't get into this comedy festival. Like I think I auditioned five, five years to do the Montreal comedy Mm -hmm. festival to do the new faces and I never got it. And I was just like so upset about it. And I really got to a place where I was like, okay, you could try and do all these things to make someone else notice you, or you could just focus on your own stuff and notice yourself. 
You know, there's no one telling you that you can't start a podcast out of your crummy one bedroom apartment. There's no one telling you that you can't host a stand-up show at UCB East and, you know, tweet every single day begging people to come to the show. Like that's all stuff that you can do. And when I started to see things changing, you know, even though like getting into podcasting didn't make Jessica and I a lot of money, but it was cool that we were able to create something from scratch and have an outlet for it. And I think that that was like a real game changer for me. And did it feel comfortable? Were you comfortable in the driver's seat? Yeah, I think so. Because I mean, I really do like creating and I really do like collaborating with other people. Like, you know, I, I know that sounds funny because I do also write books by myself and do stand up, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is very subtle activity activities. But yeah, I think, you know, it really it really made me like gain more confidence in myself and also it made me be less dependent on other people's approval. And I think in particular with women. Um, in this industry, you're sort of like, is it okay if I do this thing? Are people going to like me if I do that thing? Are people going to be okay with XYZ? And it really just sort of made me be like, well, if I could start a blog and turn that into a book deal, that great. If I could start hosting a live show with Jessica, then her and I turn that into a podcast. Awesome. So it, it really made me be like, it's kind of scary to be in the driver's seat a lot of the time, but then it's also like you realize no one knows what they're doing. So it's kind of an LOL anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, like everyone's really figuring it out. And that just makes, it makes it feel like a, that's the great equalizer is that no one truly has it all figured out. So why not just go for it? That's amazing. That's amazing advice. (laughs) So what were you like before? Like when you were a child, when you were a teenager, could you can you see when you look back at yourself now, can you see like inklings of, oh yeah, of course she was always gonna become this person? I mean, for me, I was always I was not, I will say I was not cool. Like, uh, <laughs> and that's the <laughs> first one. I used to watch a lot of TV, much to my parents' chagrin. Um, but yeah, I I liked watching comedy stuff. Like I, I watched Seinfeld and, um, and living color and Martin and SNL and all these shows. But I, I really was super into film and I really loved seventies film like that era. Like I really thought was awesome. And I was, I was a funny kid and I used to write, you know, little stories when I was a kid and I was sarcastic, but I never thought, I never thought that comedy was going to be a career because I didn't really think comedy was a career. (laughs) Um, And so I think some of my friends around me probably like were like, yeah, this seemed obvious. But to me, it really didn't at all. Mm. What about like your confident levels? Were you you always like someone who was destined to be in the driver's seat? Or did you, you know, because like dental assistant, it's so different yeah. <laughs> to, <laughs> to a Hollywood superstar, right? So yeah. would you have would you have functioned in that role? Do you think you would have been happy if you had gone the other way? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I, you know, I thought I was just gonna be behind the scenes and work in a, a film company office and I, you know, I think I always had a secret inkling of wanting to perform, but you know, I, I don't think I have I didn't, I don't think I had the gumption to really go for it. Like I never really like auditioned for any major parts and plays in high school. Like I didn't take any acting classes growing up. Um, and I mean, I really do think that stand up really helped me gain a lot of my confidence. Um, sorry, I bumped my, my microphone. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I do really think it helped me gain a lot of confidence and, um, it, it truly helped me like find my voice because it's like, well, here's a microphone. Like, what are you going to say? Like, what do you believe in? Like, what do you think is funny? So it really made me sort of focus on what is inside me. Um, and that I think is how I began to sort of get comfortable being in driver's seat. But, you know, I definitely was like the person who was like always friend zoned or like just, I would see other people doing really cool stuff and I'd be like, Oh, that'll never be me. You know what I mean? So I, I never really like went out on a limb until I started doing stand up, And that was me going out on a limb. 
So, um, okay, so I have a question that I usually ask on this podcast, which, mm-hmm. and for you in particular, it's, I, I quite like asking you this because not only are you someone who's, you've talked a lot about your life and your experiences, but you're also a podcaster who has interviewed people yourself. And so the question is, uh, what question would you most want for me to ask you? Because you know yourself oh. best, right? And as a podcaster, you know what, you know, what, <laughs> what, what should I ask you that would, that, where you would blossom? Is that the right word? Do you know what I mean? Like a, yeah, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that question before. That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What would I like you to most ask me? I don't know. I'm like such an, I'm in a phase right now. I was just telling my boyfriend, I'm like, I'm truly so bored with myself. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, you do like promo for stuff and you're just like, oh my guys, everyone's sick of me just talking about like, come to my stand-up show, please. Um, so what is the question that I don't know, I feel like you've been asking like really great questions so far. It's like give me this check-in, but I really do feel like, like I feel like maybe like throughout the course of us still talking, like there's gonna be like this one question I've never gotten before that that'll be like, oh, that's it. But like I don't know. I really just, I really feel like we're, you know, you're getting to know me in like a really nice organic way. So I feel like that's like great. And I feel like a lot of times when I'm getting interviewed, it could just feel very sort of like by the numbers or just sort of like, um, how do you and Jessica meet? Which is, you know, sort of like, I'm like, does yeah, anyone, even that. Care? yeah. I'm like, yeah. does anyone even care how, it's not going to be this amazing story. Like she didn't rescue me from like a sinking ship. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like we met doing comedy. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't have an answer for that, but I think you've been kick it major. <laughs> <laughs> I think what, what, I, what I find, what I think is really great about, I was to say watching you, but that sounds creepy, doesn't it? But like observing, <laughs> that sounds even worse, but you, I think it's the, not the contrast, but the, oh, maybe it is a contrast between the importance of the things you're saying and the topics you're pointing out and the fights you're taking, and then your kind of lightness and your <laughs> happiness. And, you know, like you're kind of juggling these, you know, you'd think that if you were, um, when you're tackling these topics, it's especially now in the world we live in, which is getting scarier and scarier. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious about, you know, I don't know how you keep your lightness or if you actually are a really happy person and you're just <laughs> shoving down all the, <laughs> all the fear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we live in a very sort of stressful time. I think we kind of always are, mm. you know, throughout history. Um, I think it's just ebbs and flows. And I think we, you know, I think certainly I was sort of lulled into a false sense of security when the Obamas were in the White House. And it mm. not that I thought that racism was cured because if you just saw mm. the way that they were treated, you would know that it was not cured in America. But I think, you know, I just sort of felt like, oh yeah, things are changing for the better. And like, you know, gay marriage has been legalized. And I even hate calling it gay marriage is just marriage Mm. but it just felt like we're making so much progress and then now to see where we are currently it's a little bit like what the bleep has just happened um but i do think i try to keep a general positive disposition i think a lot of that comes from the fact that like like i have a very like blessed life right like i started doing stand-up at 23 going on 24. So I figured out what I want to do with my life at a very young age that some people figure out later. Some people never figure out. So I was already like, Oh, I'm ahead of the game in that regard. Like, you know, I come from a pretty like solid, good family. And that is not the case for a lot of people. And, you know, while I had, I definitely had some dicey financial moments, like where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be evicted from my apartment or not. I think on the whole, like, you know, I've been able to like stay employed and really like support myself. And so I feel like so many like cool things that happen now, whether it's like, I don't know, the HBO stuff or just even being able to like tour overseas in the UK. I'm like, that is just such a like, 
there's so many people that want to do that. It might never happen in their lives. And I'm always like trying to come from a place of gratitude, which I know sounds very um, hippy dippy and cheesy, but Mm -hmm. I think it keeps me grounded because what's very interesting about a lot of people, I think this is across the board. I don't think it just is dependent on like entertainment, but so many times you see people, they reach a certain level of success or like what they deem, as making it right Mm -hmm. and they sort of have this attitude of like i showed you fuckers and it's like no 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 no. Mm -hmm. this isn't about getting revenge on high school like it's not Mm -hmm. about like showing people up because you like felt insecure you were bullied when you were 12 it's like if you're still living in that headspace you're going to be miserable and there's not going to be enough success or money or fame or what have you that's gonna nothing's gonna change how things were when you were 12 like if you were just like awkward and like not cool when you were 12 that is just what happened and so I feel like a lot of times people are like trying to either relive high school or middle school or what is it secondary school um and so they're still caught in that headspace. And so they're ultimately still caught in a negative sort of cycle. And so I really try to feel like, okay, for instance, when Jess and I sold Two Dope Queens to HBO, I could have been like, ha take that SNL. You never hired me to be a writer on your show. They're also fully not thinking about me. <laughs> you know I mean? or, or I could do the, what I, I originally did was like, this was like a dream of mine since I started doing stand up 10 years ago and I got on HBO and this might be the peak of it. This might be the greatest and the biggest thing I ever do. So let me cherish every, every moment. Yes. I'm nervous because it's HBO and I don't want to screw up, but I'm coming from a place of like, this is really freaking cool and this is awesome. And this is once in a lifetime. And so I think that helps me, stay grounded and it helps me be happy because I think I'm not operating out of success as revenge. And do you think that the, the ability to do that, do you think that stems from how many rejections you got before you kind of took charge, you know, because if you're constantly being told it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. And you sort of go, okay, I guess I could still live with, without any of this happening. And then it happens. Do you think that kind of prepares you to go, well, now I'm just going to appreciate basically everything that happens? Absolutely. Because you're just sort of like, all right, well, you know, what's different today that I got the yes that I didn't, that I wanted two years ago that I didn't get, you know what I mean? And so some of it seems a little arbitrary and some of it is just sort of like you through getting rejected for (laughs) most of my comedy career, um, I think it just sort of, A, just gave me a, a thicker skin and B, it just made me sort of go, you take it less personally. Like I think in the beginning, you're just like, they hate me or I'm this or that. And then like when you get, you know, and like when, now that I'm like auditioning for stuff, like I remember when my former manager had me audition for that movie Girls Trip with Tiffany Haddish and, you know, Regina Hall mm-hmm. and Jada and Queen Latifah. And um, she wanted me to audition for the, the Tiffany Haddish part. And I remember reading it and doing the self tape. And I was like, this really feels like this should just be a direct offer to Tiffany, right? Mm. And she's like, no, no, you should like audition, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. But I was like, this is so clearly a Tiffany Haddish part, right? And then she got it. And, you know, which was like, duh. And so mm. you you get to a place where you're like, there's just some things that are just meant for you and some things just aren't. And it's not an indictment on you. It's just like, it's just like, I don't know. It's like a a pair of shoes, like some shoes are going to fit great and some shoes aren't. And it's not the shoe, like, it's not, you know, the shoe industry being like, you can't wear shoes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, you know, that doesn't come, that just is not the right shoe for you. And so I think the rejection just makes you go a lot of times. It's just like an energy thing or it's a chemistry thing or 
you know, it just, there are a million factors as to why you get something or why you don't. And if you spend less time sort of like trying to, you know, break down and identify why you didn't get something, because there'd be a million, you're not going to know. You're almost never going to know why you don't get something. And you just have to be like at peace with that. And I think that sort of just being like, okay, I'm just like not trying to control this outcome anymore. I think is helpful. And I think just getting told no a lot just allows you to also course correct. Also mm-hmm. be like, let me, okay, I keep trying, I keep submitting for writing jobs. I'm not getting hired on, 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 on writing on late night shows. Okay. Maybe my path isn't writing on someone else's late night show. Maybe I should start a blog. Maybe I should write a web series. Maybe I should, you know, I know people who like just are incredible on Twitter and tweet jokes and that's how they can get a staffing job on like a half hour comedy. And so sometimes when you're banging your head up against the wall, it's sort of the universe being like, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Why aren't you listening to me? I keep (laughs) giving you all these no's so you can go over to this thing that is so perfect for you that you just don't realize yet. Yeah. And sometimes it's, and sometimes just sometimes you're just not good enough yet. And that's also mm-hmm. okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, I did one, that's what I did. I've done two Hollywood auditions and both times I have failed. It was, ho- it was horrible. I had to mm-hmm. audition to be a, uh, a twin to someone who was American and I cannot do the <laughs> accent. I cannot do the accent. And I was just saying the word water to this poor casting lady. <laughs> and she was saying, would you please just read from the script? And I, I, I read it in this accent and it was just so, imp- and at the end I said, she said, oh, we'll give you a call. And I said, no, I mean, I know you, I know you won't because I mean, <laughs> I'm obviously not getting this part. She was like, no, don't just keep believing in yourself, being very, you know, very uh, Oprah inspirational, you know, don't worry, you'll, you'll get there. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I know, I definitely know I'm not getting this part yeah. and it's absolutely fine. Yeah, <laughs> I was, of course absolutely. I shouldn't get this. Yeah. <laughs> but it was almost like she got really offended and like, she was like, no, 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 don't say that about yourself. I was like, no, realistically though. <laughs> this is yeah. And I think you're right about like, sometimes you're just not ready for it. And I think that that's so true. And, you know, like looking at my career now and I'm just like, Oh, I remember when I was young and I was like, I wish I started stand up when I was like 18 and then by 25, I would be blah, 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 blah. But I'm just like, I think part of the reason why I've handled everything so well for the most part is because I'm older is because I've had all that experience. And so I think that like not being ready for something is humbling. And I think Mm. it's, have that where it's like, oh, I may be able to excel at X, Y, Z, but there are still a couple of things I need to work on. And I think that that's always like a good, important check-in to have with yourself too. Yeah. And also, it also works the other way around, doesn't it? Because I'm thinking, when I think back to me starting comedy when I was 21, mm-hmm. like I just had so much, I don't know what it was, innocence or I just like, I mean, I was okay with being about to fail for five years consecutively you know where if I had to start a new project now I'm much more like jaded and much more oh Mm. but what if what if it goes wrong I feel like I have a lot more to lose and you know my rent is higher and you know so I I also like that because 23 you said you started when you were 23 right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's still young enough that you're (laughs) like oh life's life's gonna be fine (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah like if i had to start stand-up now at this age i just wouldn't do it i'd be yeah. like no yeah no thanks yeah <laughs> so what's the oh, i mean that sounds like a cliche question but i guess i want to ask because you're you're quite famous that's a weird thing to say isn't it but what sort of the <laughs> i mean because obviously there's a lot of amazing things that you get to do this this job and you know as you said you're going abroad and everything's very exciting but what's the bits you could just really live without Um, I do want to say, I don't think I'm that famous at all. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do get recognized on the street sometimes and that's really nice. I think I could, there are just some, I I think there is a thing that sometimes happens when, um, 
you get like a little bit of attention or you're a little bit known or whatever. Like I know when I do meet and greets a lot and I talk to people who come to the shows and I'm always like so excited to chat with people and have like a great time. And then I'll ask them like, Hey, like, okay, so tell me about yourself. Like, that's what I want to do. Like I want to get to know the people mm. who are coming to the shows and they're like, Oh, there's nothing interesting about me. I just want to talk about you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. If I didn't have a TV show, and I was just a regular person at a party, you wouldn't say there's nothing interesting about me. I only want to talk about you. And so I, I don't, I think sometimes I don't like how people feel like they have to be like, oh, I'm really boring because I don't have a TV show. As if mm-hmm. having a TV show is particularly interesting. It's not. I tell people all the time, most of the famous people that I meet in entertainment are dreadfully boring, are completely <laughs> uninteresting have nothing of substance to say um and so i i don't like that people will sometimes put you in a pedestal and act like you're better or like you're more worthy of attention and conversation because you have a cool job mm-hmm. um so i think that i don't like that's probably the biggest thing that i don't like and then um I don't, and I I do this too because I like to, I like content on social media, but I don't like how sometimes people, you, like you could just tell when people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I get through this interaction so I can just get a selfie with you and just like post it online? Mm. And I don't like that because I'm just like, I, I think we're sort of, as a society, I think being so dependent on documenting whatever experience you're having as opposed to actually fully being in the ex- the experience mm. um i think it'd be a bummer and sometimes it's like oh well i would have enjoyed talking to you okay i guess you just want a picture and sure i will pose and then you move on um but i think that that sort of like human connection is sort of missed out on if everyone's just trying to get the picture yeah 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 do do you find do you get some do you feel any pressure or kind of expectation? It's about the pedestal thing, isn't it? Like from mm-hmm. your, like from your fans, from people who actually like you. Because I'm, I wrote a book called Happy Fat about why it's okay to be fat, and mm-hmm. I talk out quite a lot about body image things. And but that also means that often my inbox is full with people saying, "Have you seen this horrible article about fat people? Can you comment on it?" And you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, not today. I'm having a very good day, yeah. actually." Yeah. You get any of that pressure to speak up or to be vocal about things or to kind of, you know, take on people's battles sometimes. Yeah, I, I think, you know, especially with like all the Me Too stuff happening and in entertainment and being like, Well, do you want to talk about these comics, these male comics who have done sexually inappropriate things? And it's like, go talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> go, go sit down with them and ha- and hold their feet to the fire and force them to have some honest fucking you know conversations as opposed to asking every woman in the industry like how can we fix stand-up comedy i feel like is asinine and Mm. so i I think it's tough when it's like the onus is on us to fix a broken system and the people who are participating in the breaking of it feel like they have no responsibility in in repairing it. Um, And so, yeah, I definitely do have those days where I'm like, no. And I've definitely said, you know, to my publicist, I'm like, I'm not answering these kind of questions anymore. Um, Cause I just feel like I would rather spend my time talking about the amazing people who aren't pieces of shit than like Mm. still allowing them to dominate the conversation. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. I um, it's it's so interesting the the people's reactions. Like it's it's weird hearing it from your point of view of people saying, "Oh, I'm so boring." It's not because I I've had so many conversations with my audience members, and they'll go, "Oh no, I'm, oh no, don't worry about me." And then when you get it out of them, they're like, "I'm just a firefighter, no big deal." I'm like, right? what? <laughs> oh my yeah. god, are you joking? Oh yeah, I'm just a doctor. Are you, what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I like that's so cool. Like I tell jokes. That's <laughs> I mean, you're saving lives. Come on, yeah. <laughs> what 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 would you have been if you weren't um, in this industry? If you if you weren't something that you would way would be bored. What would be the an actual dream that you th- now think? Oh, I'm probably never going to do that though. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I would have liked to have been a tennis player. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, it, it's my favorite sport. And my boyfriend and I went to Wimbledon for the first time last week. And I love it. Like, I, I it, it, what's really so cool about tennis is, you know, you train with, you know, hitting partners and coaches and stuff. And then once you're on the court, it's just you. And you have to figure it out. And it's really cool to see, especially like the really top elite players, like, when they get down in a match and they start losing games and they have to truly just dig themselves out of it. I think that that is so cool and so admirable. And Mm. I think that'd be like really cool. And, you know, you get to like travel the world a little bit and and see some cool stuff and play an awesome game. So I think maybe a tennis player, I don't think I would have been like, uh, Serena Williams, but I think I would have been a person who like maybe played professionally for a couple of years and then just became a coach. Were <laughs> <laughs> you a competitive person? Um, I like to say no, I'm like really chill, but I think I am competitive. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that. Is that something you find would helps you in your industry rather than <laughs> makes you miserable? Yeah, I think I really. I think this is a thing that sometimes I like to do is like, for instance, like with someone like an Ali Wong, like I don't feel competitive with her, but like when I see her achieving stuff, then it, it for me, it goes, Oh, so I can do something that I want to do. Maybe I just need to like believe in myself a little bit more. Cause I think that sometimes I could, I can get sort of easily discouraged. And then if I see someone else like kicking butt, then I'm just like, oh, okay, there is a way to figure this out. And so I think, you know, do sometimes do I see someone like achieve a certain level of success and I go, oh man, what have I been doing? Am I been like wasting time? Yes, of course I have those moments. But Mm then I always try to think like, well, everyone's just going to, it's like once you get to a certain level, it's like everyone's working everyone's doing different things and succeeding in various arenas and, you know, it's just sort of like, you can't be the only one that wins. Mm. You know what I mean? And so that sort of makes me take the competitive nature out of it and be like, let me see how, let me study how someone else achieves something. And maybe there's something in that that I can like borrow and then help me achieve the things that I want to achieve. Brilliant. What's your show about in Edinburgh? Oh, oh, would you also doing in London? Sorry, Harriet Sutman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, the title is, so the backstory is that, um, Harriet Tubman is an abolitionist and like helped a lot of slaves escape to freedom via the underground railroood. And so I remember when Jessica and I were doing the the podcast, Jess and I would always joke that, you know, while we do talk about maybe like weightier social issues, we'll still also be like, Hey, would you want to go on a date with Michael B. Jordan? Like, it's a lot of like mm-hmm. lowbrow stuff that we would joke around about. And so we always said that we, like, our podcast would just be disappointing so many historical black figures <laughs> who worked so hard for our freedom. And um, I used to joke that I think of everyone um, who are pro- most likely disappointing Harriet Tubman the most. And she's probably <laughs> like, well, I'm so glad I worked so hard to free you guys so you can talk about hot celebs. Um, so I just thought that would be funny to name the stand-up uh, tour that. And yeah, it's like a new hour that I'm working on. I haven't done a proper tour since Alana and I did our YQY tour back in 2017. So it's very exciting that I'm doing it solo this time around. And you know, I have jokes about boy, my boyfriend. I have race jokes. I have gender gender jokes. I, you know, I'm talking about just sort of like being more socially and politically active, and all these sorts of things. And there's some sex jokes too, obviously. And um, I really just am sort of talking about things that in a funny and sometimes ignorant or inappropriate way. And these are things that I'm like, sorry, Harriet, but I gotta say these things. But mm-hmm. I know you're gonna. Um, and so, so far it's been going pretty well. I've been, you know, running the hour a little bit and it's been a lot of fun. I've been having a really good time with people. Oh, it's so exciting. If, um, before I ask you the last question, I'm just going to flag up for people going to Edinburgh. You're at the Assembly George Square Studios at Mm -hmm. 6.45 from the 12th to the 25th of August. Yes. Do you know if there's tickets left? Let's hope there's tickets left for people who might not have picked them up yet. (laughs) There are tickets left, so please don't be shy. Let's, you know, 
come hang out. We'll have a good time. Do you know when you're in London, when you're doing the London shows? Um, Yes, I'm doing the London shows August 8th and 9th. Um, Let me look up the time super quick. Um, So it's at the Bill Murray. Yeah, it's at the Bill Murray pub. Mm -hmm. So on the... Yeah, I'm really excited. So on the 8th, I'm doing the show there at 8.30. And then on the 9th, I have a 6 p.m. show and a 9.15 p.m. show at Bush Hall. Oh, so, lovely. Oh, Bush yeah. Hall's beautiful. I'm excited. So, yeah, I'll be, I think this tour, doing it overseas is going to be, like, so fun. I'm really, really pumped. Oh, that's amazing. So the, la- so the last question that um, that I always ask in the podcast is this. Okay, so you're in the delivery room. And you have just been born, okay? But you are holding yourself, like you right now, are holding yourself as a tiny baby, okay? Mm -hmm. So tiny, tiny Phoebe is crying because she was just in the womb and it was all nice and lovely and warm and safe. And now she's out and there's lights and sounds and people everywhere and it's very scary. So she's crying and she's looking at you like, what the fuck, is this life? Is this what life (laughs) is? Is it just lights and sounds? Because this is awful, and so she's kind of looking up to you and she's crying, she's scared and she's going, is this life? What is life going to be? And you know exactly what life's going to be like from, from when you were born till the, now. Did you say you were 35? Yeah, I'm turning 35 in a couple of months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know exactly what's going to happen up until this point. And you can't change mm-hmm. anything. So you can't give advice or anything. But tiny Phoebe is looking at you going, what's going to happen? Like, what is this? So what would you say to teeny tiny baby you? About what's going to happen? Oh. I'd be like, I'd be like, hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boo. No, I think I would just be like, you know, um, first of all, you're going to think you're a very chill person and people are going to be like, you're type A. You're going to be like, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And then. You're going to get older and you're going to be like, oh, I am extremely type A. Um, cool. I'm not as chill and, and as relaxed as I thought. So I think one of the biggest things would be like, take it a little bit easier in yourself and take it a little bit easier on other people. And I think it will make life more enjoyable. Um, but that just like buckle the hell up. Um, and cause you, you, you're not going to be prepared for what's going to come your way. And that's a good thing because I think for a lot of your life, you sort of like held back because in that way you could sort of control like what happens in your life. And then you're going to just like let go a little bit and you're going to be constantly surprised, constantly challenged. And I think you'll be rewarded here and there. And that's great. And, um, I think just keep your head down and keep working very hard and a lot of cool things are going to happen for you. It might happen later than you want, but it doesn't mean that it's any less special. That's lovely. Do you need to be told any of that still? Um, I think, I think the workaholic thing I really have been working on a lot Um, and so I say no more instead of just saying yes to every single thing and then being completely burnt out and being like, well, if I say no, this person's going to be mad. A lot of times people don't care. They're just like, Hey, can you do this thing? No, you can't. Okay. Moving on. Like people are Mm. not about you, but I think I just had this sort of like, I'm letting everyone down and I should be able to do everything. And it's like, well, no one can do everything. Mm. So why do you think that you're this rare human being that can? Um, so I think the, the workaholic thing has been, has been better. And I've just been enjoying life more. And like this vacation I just took with my boyfriend was probably the first one. And like, cause I have a tendency to take time off and then just work the whole time. So this is probably the first time in like, seven years that I actually took a vacation and didn't work. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, and like when Christmas wouldn't be like, well, I'm just going to hang out with my family during the day and then write my book all night. Like that's not a vacation, like just Mm. do Christmas, you know? Um, so I think that I've really have worked on like quality of life is not just work. It's also the relationships you have with people and, you know, you don't want to get to the point where people are just kind of sick of you always putting them second to whatever work thing is coming up. Cause there's always going to be more work, but like, you're only going to have like one brother, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're only going to have like, you know, the parents that you have or like the holiday time that you have together, like your own, or like I have a niece and nephew now and they're five and one. And it's like, they're only going to be, little for a little amount of time so do i want to just like work all the time and see them like once every couple of years or do i want to try and see my niece and nephew like three four times a year and actually have a relationship with them so that i think that's been the biggest change in the past couple of years that's brilliant that's really good thank you so much for doing this do you have anything else you want to plug anywhere else people you people should definitely get your books Yes. Um, I, my first book, You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Have to Explain, is available on paperback. And um, my book, Everything's Trash But It's Okay, is currently on hardback and will be coming out on paperback, t- paperback soon. Also, Kindle. I will be selling copies of the book at the shows in Edinburgh. So if you want to carry around a, a big hardcover book <laughs> after a show, you, you could do it because of me (laughs) (laughs) oh cool thank you so much for doing this yeah this was so fun and it's it's so crazy that you did two dope queens and now we're like reunited when are you going to be in edinburgh the same time i am yes and very much at the same my show's uh from seven to eight so i'm gonna be missing every one of yours which is very sad but i could come to probably Oh, seven to eight. I can't yeah, no, <laughs> go to completely the- clash. It's so it's a horrible time to be on. You're missing all the good shows. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah. I'll oh yeah. I'll think oh, there's not there's no solution. I'm just like, oh damn it. <laughs> I know. Well we can at least just like meet up and I don't know what the the cuisine is of Scot Scotland, yeah, is it? Yeah, it's not ideal. Is that a thing, haggis? Haggis, right? yeah. Uh, yeah. Deep fried Mars bars. It's very strange. <laughs> okay. Have good curry, good curry and Thai food and stuff. <laughs> okay, I'll just I'll have curry every night then. <laughs> oh, you should. That is that's a very that is actually very good. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to hear more from Phoebe Robinson, go to patreon.com forward slash mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D, and listen to the extra snippet we recorded after the end of this one, in which we, uh, when I, in which I ask her the same six questions that I always ask the guest. You know them by now. What's the most embarrassing thing you, what is the most embarrassing thing you've ever done? Uh, uh, what do you wish people knew about you? Do you have any kind of practical advice? What's the stupidest thing you did as a teenager? What's an unpopular opinion of yours? And do you have a recommendation? I'll ask all of that to Phoebe Robinson and all the other guests. And you can go and listen to that if you're a patron. If you are a patron that gives more than $5 per episode, you also get your name read out loud at the end of the episode, which is what's going to happen now. Uh, I want to say a massive thank you to... Andrea Papillon, Andrew January, Andy Walker, Ashley Salmon, Autumn Blue Sky, Barry Norton, Caitlin, Kat Fossey, Kathy Beveridge, Cherry Windsor, Claire McCallum, Connor O'Donovan, Danny Baker, Danny Reifersheet, Daphne Fanger, Eleanor, Emma Chan, Fenella Dunn, Privacy, Soros, Aurora, Terrace Fiona Richardson, Hannah Rose, Tristram, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minner, Minnet, Heather Watson, Ida Sugolarsen, Janie Mahoney, Josie, Kathleen Gudmundsen, Kathy Daxelbauer, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Engelson, Kathy... Caddy, Travis, Kim Williams, Kirsten Davidson, Queen T, Lillian Harry French, this time in Dinosaur Onesies, M Dash, Maury Fraser, Manso Mir, Maketa Dubalova, Megan Roberts, Paul Swaddle, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Fenu, Rachel Evenheim, Rachel Foley, Rachel Phillips, the three Rachels, Ragdoll, Robert Knowles, Robin Cabell, Russell Hughes, Sarah Ferro, Agassiz, Sarah Ellen, Terry Plumer, the three Sarahs, Susie Tyler, Victoria Greer, and Victoria Layton. Thank you all. You are absolute heroes and I love you. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Also, of course, thank you to everyone else who couldn't afford the $5 per episode, but who are just supporting with whatever they can. I appreciate that so much. And in general, just thank you for being just the best people. At the beginning of every recording I do with a guest, I always tell them about the listener so they know kind of who's going to be listening to it. And every time I just get so proud, I'm just like, they're so nice. And they're just just lovely people. And you're going to love them and they're going to love you. And that's always so nice. So thank you for being those people. Being the good kind of people. So, and of course, thank you to Phoebe Robinson for doing the podcast. I mean, oh my God. Oh my God, right? And thank you to Dave Pickering for producing this episode. To Katie Edgar for doing the booking. Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle. And to Linda Brinkhouse for the logo. And, well, I was about to say thank you to Theta for letting me record episodes there, but I recorded this in my bedroom. So thank you very much to my bedroom for letting me record episodes there. I will speak to you next week. Bye. Love.